This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Brent Teer from American English with this guy. It's been a little while since I've posted anything on this channel, but I'm at school right now. Maybe you can tell. And I just recorded a lesson for my own students, but I figured I would make it available here on this channel. It's about um, a very famous American author. Her name is Maya Angelou. And we go over I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings. We've been studying her for this past week. So I talk about a video that we've seen. I can actually leave the link in the description if you also wanna watch that video. But I thought, I think I speak pretty clearly, pretty slowly, maybe a little bit more quickly, maybe like two times as quickly as I would maybe on this channel. But you can hear how I speak to uh, my native English students. And it might not be all that different from how I normally present myself to uh, non-native English students. So um, hopefully the listening is good for you. Hopefully you can increase your uh, English listening comprehension with this lesson. So uh, hope you like it. Let me know in the comments if you have any questions because I could answer them. I've been studying this for about a week or so. All right, enjoy. Hey, we're here again. Hope everything's working with the internet and everything. Uh, not all of us are actually in the building today because, uh, you know, more quarantining, more sickness. So if you're at home, at least you can see what we're doing here in class today. So the last couple of days I had been wrestling, should we read that excerpt of I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings? Because really hard. We would have to go through a lot of vocabulary, I think, just to read the page or two. So at some point, maybe later in your life, if you want to read this book, I know why the cage bird sings, might be a good thing. But what we're going to do today is we are going to read a summary of the book. So by the end of today's lesson, you will have a pretty good idea of what the entire book is about. And it's going to probably take us 15 minutes to get through the whole book. I don't encourage you to do this, uh, but there is a website called spark notes where they give you an entire summary of the book in a very short period of time like right there now there are a lot of ads you have to watch but i mean uh, not watch but look at you know they're all over the place but it's free and you can even go into like different characters you can go more of a summary this is how i learned how to read Shakespeare. So there is benefit when, when you have to read like a classic, if you're ever in English class, if you get to college, even if you aren't majoring in English, you might have to read a couple of the classics. You can look at the spark notes. Uh, don't use it as your only source, but you can read through the summary and you'll have a good idea of what the book is about. Now, you probably want to actually read the book for the detail, but here we have a summary, a pretty good summary. 
uh, we'll learn some things that we didn't know in the video. So, I mean, by the end of today's lesson, you should be a pretty good expert on I know why the cage bird sings without actually reading it. So um, let's get started. Uh, even this, though, has a few tricky words we'll talk about. This is not exactly easy reading either. Uh, remember, this was uh, published in 1969, and we found out that Maya Angelou lived until 2014, right? Which is why she published, I think it was eight autobiographies. This one is about her very early life. Lots of racism today. We're going to talk about um, exactly how bad it could get if you were black living in the South, the American South in 19, the 1930s. So not a fun topic, but again, one that we should just remember, like this took place. Another thing before we get started, um, 19, oh, hang on, there you go, 1930s, 1930s, U.S., if you remember, slavery ended, does anybody know? Because I think you're studying this in history right now. Maybe I'll pause the video. Uh, slavery ended in this country, 1865. So, and that had been around for hundreds of years, right? 1865. I think almost like three, no, not 300 years, but like 200 years, 1865. So we're talking only about 70 years later. So you can imagine, it's not like slavery stopped all at once. You know, Abraham Lincoln wrote the Emancipation Proclamation, very big words, but it just basically said, hey, slaves are free. Do you think all the slave owners, oh, okay, okay. No, even the Civil War was fought, but there was still fighting. And it's not like um, you're a slave living on a plantation, let's say, and then you're like free, you don't have a job, you don't have money. The only place you've had to live was on the plantation, somebody who owned you. So it's, it was a long process. You know, some still argue you know, there's and not slavery today, but it's just, you know, not equal, not equal yet. So this is very early, like, you can imagine maybe Maya Angelou's grandmother or grandfather could have literally been slaves. They would have been young slaves, but if they were babies and we're talking 70 years later. So it's still a new thing. Uh, one thing that when we read this, it sounds like a lot of the people around her were actually sharecroppers, sharecroppers, which is slightly better than slaves so sharecroppers of course had the freedom to move elsewhere but they probably didn't have the means they didn't have the money they didn't have the transportation had to worry about racist laws that were against them okay so even though uh slavery was not around in my angelou's time rampant racism was which we will see here all right, how do I do this? Share. Full book summary right here. In I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings, Maya Angelou describes her coming of age as a precocious but insecure black girl in the American South during the 1930s and subsequently in California during the 1940s. 
So if somebody is precocious, they're young, full of energy, you can imagine like a little two, three-year-old, very curious, getting into things, innocent. And that's going to change. Maya's innocent. innocence, as we know, is going to be um, dashed pretty, pretty early on, unfortunately. Maya's parents divorced when she was only three years old. And Ship Maya and her older brother, Bailey, who, as I was reading this, I really like Bailey. I think he's a good guy. To live with their paternal grandmother, Annie Henderson, in rural stamps. So I just want to make sure that you know paternal, it means on the father's side. So if it was a maternal grandmother, it would be her mom's mother. But this is a paternal grandmother, so it's her father's mother. Hey, back to the story. Where were we? Arkansas. See my cursor there? Arkansas. Stamps, Arkansas. Annie, whom they call Mama, so her grandmother, but they called her Mama, runs the only store in the black section of Stamps and becomes the central moral figure in Maya's childhood. So the central moral figure, teaching her what's right, what's wrong. As young children, Maya and Bailey struggle with the pain of having been rejected and abandoned by their parents. Maya also finds herself tormented by the belief that she is an ugly child who will never measure up to the genteel white girls. Genteel, it's another word that might be new. It's just polite and respectful. And that's exactly what, if we talk about segregation, what she was dealing with, separating the races, that's exactly what society wanted from young black people, old black people, is not to feel as equal as white people. That's what it was designed to do, make them feel inferior. And it looks like it's working for Maya because she will we'll see that she can still see how other people live, how the other white people in stamps will live. And obviously she's not able to live in that way yet. She will be, but it's a pretty rough childhood. Uh, right here, I'll just highlight this in blue in case you've lost your place. Try to hide that ad so it's not distracting. She does not feel equal to other black children. So she even feels below other black children. You know, very, And that's you know, common, I think, for young children to feel insecure. You know, it's tough. One Easter Sunday, Maya is unable to finish reciting a poem in church and self-consciously feeling ridiculed and a failure. So she puts a lot of pressure on herself. Maya races from church crying, laughing, and wetting herself. Bailey sticks up for Maya when people actually make fun of her to her face, wielding his charisma to put others in their place. So it seems like her brother has a lot of confidence. I'm glad that she had him there. And uh, he takes care of her. And we'll see, you might remember from the video we watched, you know, he's actually going to be her voice after. Um, and I probably won't read this out loud. You might be able to. It is uh, a little graphic. Um, I will summarize it. But it is that incident where she was sexually abused at a very young age, at age seven. I think anytime anyone is sexually abused, it's going to be traumatic. Absolutely traumatic. But when she is, uh, I think the video said seven, didn't it? And this this says eight here. Either way, very young, 
just absolutely devastating. Just remember where she is able to go after this, despite all the setbacks in her childhood. It's just remarkable. Growing up in Stamps, Maya faces a deep-seated Southern racism manifested in wearing daily indignities and terrifying lynch mobs. So those indignities, I did mention in a couple classes what that might look like. An example, well, first of all, if you were black, you probably went to a school that was not nearly as good as the white schools. All of the money from the taxes, they went to the white schools. So it would make uh, people who attended the black schools feel inferior. Um, there were also things where if you were walking down the street, a white person and a black person were walking down the street, it was custom. Like you were going to have to do this if you were black, step off the sidewalk and let the other person pass. If you're wearing a hat, you might tip your hat to be respectful. It's just, it's, it's the worst. It's the worst. So there's no way that um, you could feel very good about that if you were black. That's what it was designed to do. Segregation. Just a couple examples. Lynch mob, by the way. A lynch mob. So she worried about lynch mobs in the 1930s. And that is where a group of white people would single out a black person and actually hang them from a tree. Lynch mob. So living in fear, being put down all the time. Very difficult childhood. And it gets worse. The next part here. She, spend time, she spends time at Mama's store observing the cotton pickers as they journey to and from work in the fields. So those were the sharecroppers I was, I was talking about where pretty much still don't have the freedom because of money, you know, transportation, all that stuff, that they're probably doing very similar jobs to what their parents were doing when they were slaves. When Maya's eight, her father, of whom she has no memory, arrives in Stamps unexpectedly and takes her and Bailey to live with their mother, Vivian, in St. Louis, Missouri. So out of the blue, this man arrives. She, they tell her that this is your father, but she has no memory of him. Beautiful and alluring, Vivian lives a wild life, working in gambling parlors. Now, this is the part that I'm actually not going to read. You can read that for yourself if you want. We've heard definitely enough about it. I don't want it to, you know, trigger any, any, anybody, but she does have an experience where she is abused at age, I think it says eight here. I think the movie said seven. So devastating. And this is where she um, becomes mute, right, for five years. We'll learn how she, uh, how she moves on from that. In the aftermath of these events, Maya endures the guilt and shame of having been sexually abused. She also believes that she bears the responsibility of Mr. Friedman's death because this was not in the video. She denied in court that he had molested her prior to the rape. So she actually, you know, who knows? You're like seven or eight and you're in court and everybody is watching you, you know, and she, she denies that this happened. It's got to be tough. A lot of times, you know, children that young will not have to testify in court. But, you know, who's to blame her? Very traumatic experience. Uh, 
And we, um, I'll highlight this just in case you've lost your place so you can read along. Believing that she has become a mouthpiece for the devil, Maya stopped speaking to everyone except Bailey. So her older brother, she still speaks to. Well, that was not in the videos. That's new for us today. Her mother's family accepts her silence at first as temporary post-rape trauma, but later they become frustrated and angry when they perceive to be disrespectful at what they perceive to be disrespectful behavior. So at first they accept it, you know, for a little while. And then they're like, Oh, you're just, you're just being respect, disrespectful to us. So she has even more pressure on her to Maya's relief, but Bailey's regret Maya and Bailey return to stamps to live with mama. So they're being shuffled back and forth. This is the fourth major move they've had California to Arkansas to Missouri back to Arkansas. Got to be pretty rough. Mama manages to break through Maya's silence by introducing her to Miss Bertha Flowers, a kind, educated woman who tells Maya to read works of literature out loud, giving her books of poetry to help her regain her voice. Hmm. This could be pretty influential, seeing that she will later go on to write some pretty amazing poetry. We know that she will speak at uh, President Clinton's 1993 inauguration. This is obviously not in I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings, because it was published in 1969, so about 30 years earlier. During these years in stamps, Maya becomes aware of both the fragility so if something's fragile, it's easily broken, and the strength of her community. She attends a church revival during which a priest preaches implicitly against white hypocrisy through his sermon on charity. So the church is like, is trying to tell the people that, hey, you know, white hypocrisy. If, if somebody is a hypocrite, it means they don't do what they say they're going to do. Uh, for instance... If someone is a hypocrite, they, as an adult, might tell kids, hey, you shouldn't smoke, but they actually smoke themselves. That would be a hypocrite. The spirituality strength, spiritual strength gained during the sermon soon dissipates as the revival crowd walks home past a honky-tonk party. So I think this was a party probably by white people, maybe some country western music back then playing. This is probably the 1940s. Maya also observes the entire community listening to the Joe Lewis heavyweight championship boxing match, desperately longing for him to defend his title against his white opponent. All right, I want to really quickly talk about uh, this guy, Joe Lewis, but actually I'm going to talk about somebody else instead. So let, I guess I have to share this, a different screen. So if you were black, during this time, you didn't have a lot of idols to look up to who were also black. In fact, very few, if any, because like in sports, if there you know, baseball was really popular at this time, but there was a league if you were white and there was a league if you were black. So the races were separated. There was one sport though, that was not. And it, it had been, I guess you would call it integrated, in, integrated, um, for about 50 years, and that is boxing. So let me try to share. I can't talk and uh, want to talk. I can't talk and uh, share the screen at the same time. Uh, this boxer named Jack Johnson, really quickly, 
uh, if you can see the years here. Now, he was born in 1878 and unfortunately died in a car accident in 1946. But, I mean, racism was strong at this time. Uh, Jim, Jim Crow era. If you ever hear that, that was another way to say like segregation, but Jim Crow laws were exactly made to, um, have blacks and whites separated, lots of discrimination, you know, different, uh, water fountains, the most common way people hear about it, but it was, it was much deeper than that. But this guy, is this even sharing? Okay. You, so you can see it, but this guy, uh, started competing in boxing against white people against other white boxers. And so that could be an idol of yours. It was one of the uh, few places in which black people and white people could compete on equal, on equal footing. So a lot of people in her community, now I got to share the other screen, but Jack Johnson, Joe Lewis, a couple very early Jack Johnson's way before Joe Lewis, but, um, and in Detroit, there is like the Joe Lewis Arena named after him. But it was one of the few places where uh, blacks and whites could compete. And so if you're black, you're probably like, oh, come on, let's go. You're rooting for that guy, right? Because it's about the only place in your life where you could be equal or even better than someone who is white. Um, let me see. I gotta, this should be easier to do, but it's really not. So I'll share the other way so we can finish reading this. Uh, hope you're enjoying this. Hope you're not sleeping. I find this uh, to be fascinating. You may hate it, but so um, lots of bad, bad things here so far. Um, and we get the uh, like the last line of this is actually a little more positive, but but that's about it. So lots of um, hardship for Maya here. All right, Maya endures several appalling incidents to teach her about. The insidious nature of racism. So this is how bad racism could get. Uh, it could get actually a little worse. But at age 10, Maya takes a job for a white woman who calls Maya Mary for her own convenience. She probably knows her name is Mary. But to make her feel you know, less human, like, I'm not even going to call you your right name. Right? Very disrespectful. Maya becomes enraged and retaliates by breaking the woman's fine china. So even at like a young age, you know, you don't mess with Maya Angelou. At Maya's eighth grade graduation, a white speaker devastates the proud community by explaining that black students are expected to become only athletes and servants. So you can imagine that at your eighth grade graduation. Like, yeah, you basically can only do two things in, in life. And that's like pretty much serve white people or maybe become an athlete. But that's it. That's it. So why are you even going to school? You know, devastating. Uh, this is horrible right here. I mean, people hate going to the dentist enough, right? Look at this. When Maya gets a rotten tooth, Mama takes her to the only dentist and stamps a white man who insults her, saying he'd rather place his hand in a dog's mouth than hers. So this is the type of stuff that if you were black, you were dealing with every single day, made to make you feel less human. The last straw comes when Bailey encounters a dead, rotting black man and witnesses a white man's satisfaction at seeing the body. So bad stuff, racism, really, really bad stuff. Mama begins to fear for the children's well-being and saves money to bring them to Vivian, 
who now lives in California. When Maya is 13, the family moves to live with Vivian in Los Angeles and then Oakland, California. And that's a big move, too, if you're not familiar with the map of California. But Los Angeles is in the southern part of California. Oakland is near San Francisco. It's about like a five, six hour drive. So another like a lot of moving for her as a child. Big, big moves. When Vivian marries daddy Clydell, Slidell, a positive father figure, that was the older man they were talking about. They move with him to San Francisco, the first city where Maya feels at home. She spends one summer with her father, Big Bailey, in Los Angeles, and has to put up with his cruel indifference and his hostile girlfriend. This was not in the uh, video either, but this makes a really big mark on her life. Dolores, after Dolores cuts her in a fight. So that's, you, you might hear of like, you know, stepmothers and children not getting along. This like literally got physical. Maya runs away and lives for a month with a group of homeless teenagers in a junkyard. That is not in the movie either. Her living in a, uh, her, the video we watch, her living in a junkyard. That's not in there. Maya runs away and lives for a month. I read that. All right, last part here. She returns to San Francisco strong and self-assured. She defies racism, racist hiring policies in wartime San Francisco to become the first black streetcar conductor at age 15. Um, really quickly about this. Wartime, okay? We're talking World War II. This, this actually, World War II, I don't know if you know this, but it actually did help um, minorities. And when I talk about and, uh, people who weren't white men, I guess, right? Even women were helped by this. World War II, it required a lot of, at first, it was white men to go and fight. You know, certainly some black men as well. Uh, I believe in still World War II, I think, I, I'm not, I could be wrong. They were uh, also segregated, I believe, World War II. But since so many men were going to fight jobs back home, they needed to be replaced. And so this is where women and minorities um, were able to get a little bit of a foot up. They were able to get some jobs that were off limits to them before. And then this is when, when after the war, when white men come back, all these jobs are kind of taken away from the people who had them. And that is the very beginnings of more equality for other people besides white men. Just a little tidbit there. So um, that's probably one reason why she was able to get that job as the streetcar conductor at 15. It's because people were desperate for workers. But the fact that she got that was pretty amazing. And I think I told you I'd read somewhere else where she just basically – her, she's living near her mom at this time. And her mom was like, hey, don't give up. Just keep going. Just go every day until they give you a job. <laughs> Eventually they did. All right. Let's get this bigger here. Almost done. Almost done. Uh, we know this from the video, I believe. At 16, she hides her pregnancy from her mother and stepfather for eight months, graduates from high school. I think this is the only like positive sentence of the whole summary of the book. The account ends... As Maya begins to feel confident as a mother to her newborn son. So most of the time, I would not recommend this. You know, if you're feeling like you don't have a lot of self-confidence, have a child, 
no. I mean, that's usually just so much pressure, so much stress, so much time. But Maya was able to, you know, you could see like at 16 getting pregnant, not ideal. You know, it changes your life quite a bit. But at least she graduated high school. And then having that baby made her feel like more confident. All right. So that's uh, without reading. I know why the cage bird sings. It's almost like you read. I know why the cage bird sings. Kind of. You could probably have a conversation with someone. They're like, oh, yeah, what do you think of uh, I know how the cage bird sings? Like, eh, I liked it. You know, there's parts of the story that were pretty, pretty moving. Now, I encourage you at some point, you know, read the story. It's very hard reading. But in high school or college, if you ever want to go back and revisit it. But uh, right now, you know, in the eighth grade, you got, got some knowledge of what my Angelou's I know what the cage bird sings is about. All right. Thanks for watching. I guess you had to, right? All right, I think we'll read Cryer's Cross now. Okay, see ya. Hey, 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 what's going on? All right, welcome back to another video. Hopefully you're in school, but if you're not, if you have to quarantine or you're at home for whatever reason, it's almost like you're in the class, right? So yesterday, hopefully you were in class. We watched that 12-minute video about the tragic life of my Angelou. So today... I would like you to rewatch that. You know, I'll 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 put that on the big screen. We can all watch it together, or if you want to, you know, put on some headphones or whatever, AirPods, do your thing. <clears throat> now there is going to be a Google form that goes along with just Maya Angelou, so nothing about I know why the cage bird sings, not yet. So we will be reading excerpts from her autobiography one of her many autobiographies so that's actually the first question i think on the google form is what is an excerpt so you'll hear your english teachers in in high school use this quite often i mean i'm using it right now so let's say i know why the cage bird sings is 250 pages i think it's about that we're only going to be reading a page or two so that's an excerpt. It's when you just don't read the whole thing. That might take us all year. I'm pretty sure there are some college classes where you just, you might read, I know why the cage bird sings like the whole semester, or you might focus on a couple works by Maya Angelou. We don't have that kind of time. So we're just going to get a, a taste. We're going to get a little glimpse as to what I know what the cage bird sings is like. And there's a reason we're not reading the whole thing. We'll, we'll get to that later. But uh, it's actually, I guess, been, been banned. And after, read, or after watching the video yesterday, it deals with some pretty heavy topics. So there's that. But I would like to share a couple things that were mentioned in the movie or the, the video uh, with you. A couple new things. And you can have that Google form right out. And do it as you're watching the stuff. So question number one, what is an excerpt? So a couple other things that I think are sort of important and that are on the Google form. Um, remember, in this class, I'll never ask you to memorize anything. I don't think there's a lot of value in that. So that's why as you're watching this, hopefully you're filling this out. But the next couple questions are going to be a little bit about when she was born and when she died. 
And I think that's important to know just so it gives you a reference of, okay, during what time period did she live? Because if she had lived in like the 1860s, that would have been a lot different in this country. 1860s, like the Civil War is going on. She didn't she didn't live in that time. We'll see. But she was born in 1928. I'm sure you can see that right there. And if they want to just boil her life down to two words, it, it could be poet. Although we're going to read something that's not poetry by her. She was a writer as well. Poet and activist. Now, when you're talking about activist, you're talking about someone who wants change in the world. So based on what you watched yesterday, based on when she lived from 1928 to 2014, some of the people that she worked with, like Malcolm X, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So if you know anything about that sort of history, the thing that she probably wanted to change, and we actually, I think, have a quote by her uh, about change, would probably be the lives of people who were black in the United States, but, um, but not just the United States. If you remember yesterday, she was very involved in something called apartheid, which... I mentioned in a couple classes, South Africa. So think about the continent of Africa. And then all the way to the south, there's a country like right at the bottom of Africa called South Africa. And until 1992, I think, it was legal. It was mandatory to keep people who were black and white separate. separate. It was legal. It was the law. And you can imagine, um, there's actually one famous guy. His name's Trevor Noah. Trevor Noah. Um, he's on late night TV. I don't really watch him too much. But he lived in apartheid, during apartheid. He lived in South Africa during apartheid. And guess what? His dad was white and his mom was black. So he was, the name of his autobiography, we're not talking about him right now, but was born a crime. He was, he was literally illegal. It's a crazy story. If you want to read a good autobiography, I recommend it. Trevor Noah, Born a Crime, it's called. Uh, I didn't plan on talking about that, but Maya Angelou did do a lot of good work with uh, raising awareness around the world about apartheid. And if you've ever heard of that guy, Nelson Mandela, he was jailed for being so active in that um, raising awareness around the world about apartheid. So he, and he eventually became uh, South Africa's president. But we're not talking about apartheid or Nelson Mandela. So let's move on to Maya Angelou. Another thing that is uh, interesting about her is right here. We're going to talk a little bit more about this. But she was the first black San Francisco cable car conductor. There's a little piece on her that we'll, we'll be talking about. Later, but I mean, out of all the things that she did, actress, singer, uh, poet, writer, activist, she was also the first black San Francisco cable car conductor. Yeah, a little more on that later. Uh, you saw this yesterday, recited a poem at Clinton's inauguration. I had no idea she published cookbooks. What? And if you watched yesterday's video, and we'll watch it again today, she did spend five years in silence. But this is the quote I was talking about earlier. If you don't like something, change it. If you can't change it, 
change your attitude. And um, I walked in this morning, talk a little bit about my attitude. Walked in this morning, it's freezing in my room. You tell them wearing a jacket. It was, it, it's still freezing in this room. There's something blowing out of the, there's something blowing out of the vent, but, or is I can't even find it, but um, I think it's actually cold air. So I can't change it. Like ever since I started working in the school, um, I've had a, two different rooms and uh, sometimes it'll be super chilly. Sometimes it'll be super hot. They're like, yeah, this is kind of an old building. There's nothing we can do. So uh, I don't get mad. I just wear a jacket or I just sweat. But usually it's a jacket in this room. And I'm sure you probably feel it worse because you leave this room and you might go to Mr. Lutick's room and it's just like dying in there. So back to that quote. It's a good quote, I think. Like, let me make it a little bigger. If you let me actually put it on the screen. If you don't like something, change it. And if you can't change it, change your attitude. All right, I need to switch screens here. And uh, we'll share this screen right here. All right, a lot of ads, a lot of ads here, but, um, you know, don't buy the products. It's all good. So here are 11 facts about the book, her autobiography, that we'll be reading Remember, autobiography. We talked about that in some classes. Auto means yourself, like automobile. Like all you have to do is push the pedal and it will go by itself. You don't have to push the car. Auto, bio means life. Graph means writing. So an autobiography is a book written about someone that they wrote themselves. So I know why the cage bird sings is an autobiography about my Angelou. And here are some facts. Scroll down. Some, some of these we won't be uh, focusing on uh, because they are in the, look at this, all these ads, uh, because they are in the movie that we watch. But uh, Maya Angelou wrote seven autobiographies. And, you know, there's some really hot topics that are often hard to talk about right there came out in 1969 right here. Uh, can I highlight this? I hope I can. It was one of the first books to honestly depict the experiences of a black woman growing up in the South. So that story had not been told a lot. And in a minute, we're going to talk about how, uh, or maybe I'll talk about it right now, how people who published books thought, you know what? Nobody's going to want to, hear a story about a black woman living in the South. That's just not going to sell. So she was the first one to get that book published. And guess what? It did sell. And we were kind of dealing with that a couple of years ago that I think before Black Panther, a lot of people were like, you know, I just don't think a, a black superhero would sell. You know, people aren't going to go, excuse me, to the movies and watch a black superhero. And guess what? It was like the uh, most watched movie, uh, made the most money of that year. What was it? 2018? So, yeah, guess what? We're still dealing with that. Like, eh, nobody's going to watch that. Well, guess what? They did and they will. Uh, we talked about the next one right there. She was mute for five years after a sexual assault. 
that is in the movie. Uh, number two, I'm not going to focus that much on this, but James Baldwin is a, another very famous writer. He wrote The Invisible Man. Um, and oftentimes it's who you know that will actually help you get a little further in life. So she was able to meet some very powerful people, and that really helped her with getting her book published. Uh, I wouldn't uh, recommend this, you know, especially because you're not 21, but uh, apparently, I'll just, uh, since I've already read this, apparently part of her writing uh, ritual, like when she wrote, she would uh, often play cards. She would play solitaire while she was like taking a break. And she was also drinking a little bit of alcohol, which I cannot recommend. You should not do that, especially since you're under 21. The next one, if I can get down here. Yeah, the next one, uh, I do want to focus on this, okay? And there will be some questions on the Google form. Alert, here's one. So let me make this bigger. So the title of her book came from a poem. And they have an excerpt of the poem right here, along with an ad. Let's get rid of that. So I've highlighted this. I probably will not read the whole thing. But in that poem, there is a line that says, I know why the caged bird sings. Ah, me, with his wing, when his wing is bruised and his bosom sore, when he beats his bars and would be free. It is not a carol. So it's not a song of joy or glee. But a prayer that he sends from his heart's deep core. Okay. So this is a little deep right here, a little deep, but her autobiography is not about birds and it's not about cages. You can imagine if, if it is about racism, the bird could be her and the cage, it's all metaphor, all metaphor, not really a bird, not really a cage. It's all about how the racism she has felt Remember, she lived in the South for a while, I believe in the 1930s and 40s, um, in, in Arkansas. So she experienced a lot of racism. So the cage might be that racism keeping her down, keeping her from flourishing, keeping her from being the person that we know that she will become. But growing up, she probably felt like held down by all the laws that were against her. So if you're living in the 30s and 40s and you're black and it's the South, you're going to probably be going to a school that's not as good as all the white children who are going, where they're going. So think about that. That's going to be definitely on the Google form. Not a bird, not a cage. What is it? Okay. The next one. Is this something we want to talk about? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is just kind of an interesting fact, I thought, for me. Like, out of all the things that she did, I guess you could probably watch this on YouTube. A lot of times when I click these things, it says it's not available. Oh, OWN. That is uh, Oprah's network. Can, can we click on this? Maybe we can watch it. Yeah. I haven't watched this, but I would like to show you a picture of a streetcar if they do it. Uh, maybe she's just talking about it. But uh, very famous uh, streetcars, San Francisco, 
Ah, well, there's a streetcar. Well, that's what it looks like. That's a streetcar. And she was the first, was it black female streetcar conductor in San Francisco? What are the odds? So she's made history there, but then she also made uh, a lot of other history, of course. Number six. Um, we've talked about this already. Cage Bird, Assumptions, books about black women didn't sell. Well, I'll show you. Yes, it will sell right here, right there. It sold and it paved the way. I don't know how to say this woman's name, but it paved the way for Alice Walker, Toni Morrison. If you look them up, they've sold tons and tons of books. This was also in the video yesterday. She read a poem, 1993, at Bill Clinton's inauguration and it increased the book sales 500%. So think of it as like five times. So whatever they were selling, if they were selling a thousand a week, they were now selling 5,000 a week. I just made that up. Um, Angela. Uh, okay. The next one, uh, uh, skip number eight. Number nine, though. Cage bird. I know why the cage bird sings. Is frequently banned or censored. So, like I said, we're just reading an excerpt. But there are a lot of things in that book that she goes into detail. Like, we've talked about them on the surface, but she goes into more detail that we won't go into here, but a lot of um, parental groups uh, will get angry at the school if they read the whole thing, because, you know, it's just not appropriate maybe to read out loud, but it, it's important to know. I mean, she tells her story and other people might have struggled with the same thing. So, the banned book thing is always uh, really tricky for me. Like, I agree there are some things, you know, in a class, maybe eighth graders shouldn't read or some people. It's usually banned in high school, but um, it's just uh, it's something that, uh, you know, if you don't talk about it a lot of times, um, you're doomed to repeat it or you might think uh, you're alone. So. She's been called the most banned author in the U.S. Ooh, she's a rebel. And um, Catalyst, Catalyst. Um, we had the word kindling not too long ago, but a catalyst is um, a term for something that can make something else happen. So uh, maybe like not start a real fire, but start a, like a lot of controversy. So the book, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings, it kind of started uh, banned book week. And if you look here, banned books week right there, uh, it's a whole week designed to raise awareness of books that have been banned for whatever reason. Uh, sometimes I'll talk about it right now. When we get to the excerpt of that book, I know why the cage bird sings. There are some word. there is exactly one word at least uh, that I'm not going to be comfortable saying out loud. And I'll talk about why, like it will be on the screen when I read it, but I won't say it out loud because it's very similar to another word that should never be uttered, but we'll get to that at the time. So hopefully your Google form has been filled out a little bit. Hopefully you know a little bit more about Maya Angelou and hopefully it wasn't that bad. Hopefully it wasn't uh, that hard. So 